This message is a recording from Kaleo Phoenix, a church plant in downtown Phoenix that creates space to practice the ways of Jesus together as the multi-ethnic family of God. Uh, Good evening, good evening. Um, As Chris said, I'm Aaron, and if you have not met my parents yet, I would just encourage you to sneak attack them on their way out. Um, If you're ever curious who created me, they're right there. Mr. and Mrs. Lashley, that's who they are. Yes, you can give them a round of applause. That's fine. Welcome, welcome to Kalea. (laughs) Well, Truthgiving um, was actually coined by an indigenous activist named Christine Nobis, and it's meant to dismantle common misunderstandings about Thanksgiving with, well, the truth. Some say Thanksgiving is celebrated at the expense of Native peoples. And while America celebrates a day of thanks with feasts and football, many Native Americans continue to live with disparities and economic hardships. Since 1970, the United American Indians of New England have carried out a national day of mourning. This is what they have to say. Thanksgiving Day is a reminder of the genocide of the millions of Native people the theft of native lands, the relentless assault of native culture. The National Day of Mourning is a day of remembrance and spiritual connection, as well as a protest of racism and oppression, which Native Americans continue to experience. These are true events that happened in a place many of us pledge our allegiance, started by a faith many of us pledge to follow. The truth is hard to hear, but the truth, when faced, is set, will set us free. So in the name of truthsgiving, over the next 10 minutes, I'd like to welcome a friend of mine, Tara Atone, to come and share with us her journey of following Jesus as a Native American woman. Welcome, Tara. Awesome. Hello. Hi. Thank you all for having me here. I really appreciate it. Uh, That music was awesome. And this is our second time here. And I've just been moved every single time I'm here. Um, My kids are here. So I hope they they felt that. Um, And it came full circle. I was crying actually during the music in tears of joy, um, which was really nice uh, because, you know, sometimes this journey has actually been really difficult. So if you see me crying throughout it, it's okay. I will cry. Just just be with me in that moment. Um, So uh, thank you for inviting me here. It's an honor to get to speak today. Thank you. And I will try to keep it to 10 minutes. There's a lot to unpack here. But um, uh, so uh, I've only been a Christian actually for the last eight years of my life. Um, For most of my life, I really despised Christians, frankly, and really had trouble um, wanting to be a Christian. And so I sought God in a ton of places, uh, and only um, as we get through the story, except to God recently in my life. And so I just was going to unpack some of what, uh, in the next slide, um, what sort of kept me from wanting to be a Christian in my life. Uh, I'm American Indian, so I am French, Irish, Jewish, German, also Kiowa and Choctaw. And uh, so I'm a Plains Indian, if you can see on the map, oh, sorry. Uh, on the mat that will eventually be up there. Uh, we're, we're Plains Indians. We were the teepee people, um, but also my, my grandmother was full Choctaw, and so she was from the Mississippi Valley, and my mother, on my mother's side, a little bit of Cherokee from, from uh, Georgia and the Atlanta, or South Carolina, North Carolina area. 
Uh, so growing up, Christianity had always been to me something that had been used to dispose of my people's land, uh, to do terrible things under the things of doctrine of discovery, saying that the people that were here on this continent were not Christians, therefore they had no rights to their land uh, because they were not a God-fearing people. And so it was that, that doctrine that actually was utilized to justify the removal of millions of American Indians from their land. Um, and what began, what began uh, the Trail of Tears, also um, that happened for the Navajo as well, where they were removed from their homelands and walked thousands of miles to different spots of land uh, that were reserved under treaty rights. Um, so this doctrine was used all over the world. It was also used in Africa to justify the taking of those lands and the colonizations. It was used in Australia in order to justify the taking of those lands and in other territories that the United States currently occupies, but was also used by other nation states, so it wasn't just known to, to the United States. Um, but as the people got removed from their lands and uh, put onto reservations, the federal government went even farther. They used Christianity to justify the taking of thousands of children across the country that were sent to boarding schools. There, their hairs were cut, their clothes were taken, and they were forced under the name of Christianity to get rid of their languages and to get rid of their cultural beliefs and to practice Christianity. Again, all done in the name of Christianity. Uh, my great-grandfather, Sam, is actually a survival of, or survivor of the Carlisle Indian School, as is my, uh, my grandmother was a survivor of a boarding school. And she was beaten so badly for not giving up her Choctaw language that by the nuns that later she would have no cartilage in her knees. And again, all through the name of Christianity. Um, so then on top of that, growing up, learning about other things on the next slide, the other atrocities that have occurred around the world in the name of Christianity, the Holocaust of the Jews, the Spanish Inquisition, I know we all kind of joke about it, but it was a real thing, burning of witches in Massachusetts in slavery, all these things justified and done in the name of Christianity. Um, were things that really drove me away from Christ. It drove me from not wanting to be associated with that. If that's what Christianity was, I didn't want any part of it. Um, and so I spent a lot of time, again, searching for God in, in a lot of different places and uh, practicing a lot of different faiths. Um, but again, God's faithful, and God's, God sought me out. So despite my sin, God continued to pursue me. And I uh, accepted Jesus on, Jan or on Easter uh, in 2014 after I'd had my first child out of wedlock. Um, and I started this path with Jesus where I really started to learn what Jesus was about, about his love for God or love for people and to accept real love for people that these other things that have been done around the world in the name of Christianity, that, that wasn't Christianity. That was people utilizing that in order to get their ways and to justify their actions. Um, but it was also that thing where I could see the devil using it against me to separate me from God because that was keeping me from my relationship with Christ himself. Um, so after I accepted my, my first relationship on Easter Sunday with Christ and his sacrifice for us, I started this journey with God and got to know God more. And um, 
I've still struggled a little bit in that relationship and just really getting to get deeper with God. And again, these things that we continue to see around us, people who continue to profess that they're good Christians while also doing a lot of things that are not what God told us to do and understanding that. But God, again, is faithful. So even in his message here tonight, it felt full circle and coming around and that love of God and seeking me out also within my own sin um, to have that relationship with him. And understanding that even though these atrocities have occurred in our world, that there's still light and there's still the ability to connect with God and to talk about those things and seek healing amongst ourselves because we really all need to heal from this oppression that we've all experienced throughout the world and understand that we've all been oppressed in many different ways. Um, but through God, we have this relationship and this ability to heal and uh, move forward. So. Thank you so much. Um, also, if you want to learn more about the boarding schools, the Heard Museum is a great place to go and have an experience learning about what happened um, in that process. So, thank you all. Thank you. <sighs> thank you so much, Tata. I feel so emotional <laughs> tonight. Um, and actually, um, I don't think I've ever cried here from the full pit before. In May of 2020, my friend Tor Holly asked me to read a book with her called Unsettling Truths by Mark Charles and Sung Changra. I wasn't an avid reader at that time, but decided I would join her by listening to this audiobook. And I think the book was a bit more than I was ready for, <laughs> to be honest. Unsettling Truths is a blend of history, theology, and cultural commentary as the authors reveal the far-reaching, damaging effects of the doctrine of discovery, much of what our sister talked about tonight. In the book, they break down how the dominant culture idolizes a history of discovery, opportunity, expansion, and equality while minority communities have been traumatized by colonization, slavery, segregation, and dehumanization. The history is fact. The stories are raw and the truths are, as the title suggests, unsettling. So much, of, so much so that I distinctly remember weeping one night while laying in my bed because I couldn't grasp how all of this genocide was done in the name of God. More specifically, the trail of tears left me undone. Taking place in the 1830s, the Trail of Tears was the forced and brutal relocation of approximately 100,000 indigenous people living between Michigan, Louisiana, and Florida to land west of the Mississippi River. Motivated by gold and land, Congress passed the Indian Removal Act by a slim and controversial margin in, 19, in 1830. The Cherokees resisted removal through every possible means. Even Juna Luska, who had saved Andrew Jackson's life at the Battle of Horseshoe Bend, traveled to Washington to plead the Cherokee's cause, but Jackson would not hear him. 
I think I wept because as I listened to the account of the trail of tears, my imagination turned words into faces of mothers and daughters, fathers and sons, grandfathers and grandmothers, children. And it was like I could hear them crying, and so I cried with them, and I cried for them. And then I wept because I wondered, how is it that I never knew that it was Christians who did this to Native people? And what are you supposed to do with that information? (laughs) And if this was the first time I was hearing of something like this in this book, how many other things have I not heard of? What am I supposed to do with the reality that one day the offspring of these colonizers would also wear hoods and kill black bodies? With great respect to Native history, in more of a figurative way, I feel like I'm journeying my own trail of tears. The more that I learn about history and the harsh reality of pain that exists there, I'm also seeking out the remnant of people that didn't give up on God there. Because though it is true that Christians led a genocide against Native people, it is also true that there were also people and Jesus followers who did not identify with a God of violence and hatred, but with a God who advocates for the well-being of all people. There were Christians who did not put on the white hood, but sought to show Jesus through love and equality. I'm teaching myself to find the remnant of God's presence in the middle of despair, in the middle of injustice, in the middle of wrongdoing. There are still people, even if it's one or two, that would not give in to the ways of oppression, that would not bow down to the idols of this world, but instead say, I'm going to follow Jesus. What's interesting about revisiting the stories of our history is that they look very much so like the stories of our present. And when history keeps repeating itself, it's hard to be hopeful sometimes. I'm currently reading a book called Cast, The Origins of Our Discontents. The best-selling author of The Warmth of Other Suns, Isabel, Isabel Wilkerson, gives a masterful portrait of an unseen phenomenon how America today and throughout its history has been shaped by a hidden caste system, a rigid hierarchy of human rankings. She argues that beyond race, class, or other factors, there is a powerful caste system that influences people's lives and behavior and the nation's fate. I'm on the fourth chapter, but while reading, I honestly was not expecting to weep Again, I mean, like, what is going on is kind of what I was thinking as I was reading this. I didn't anticipate that the retelling of injustice towards black people for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years would be an invitation for me to once again put faces to words. Because the words in her book turned into the faces of my grandmothers and my grandfathers that I've never met. I saw the great migration and could feel the fight against poverty and inequality that my parents have lived through. I wept because the stories that she tells are not just stories. They are me. The other day, I woke up to read that book. 6 a.m. is kind of like, let me get up and read and then go in my routine. And I started weeping as I read the book. 
and I wept silently to myself and I said, God, although things are not what they used to be, they still are not what they should be. How long, O oh Lord, will injustice go on? When will you come and make it right? Kendall, noticing the slight gasp for air and change in my breath, leaned in and hugged me and asked me what was wrong. And my quiet tears turned into louder gasps as I said, there is so much wrong in the world. When will God come and fix it? How long do we have to grieve? How long do we have to keep fighting systems? How long do immigrants have to flee violence? How long do black people have to be shot in the street? How long must we endure murder, homelessness, the wealth gap, and the violence of all kinds? And after several long pauses of silence and embrace, Kendall reminded me that I feel anger and sadness towards injustice because God feels it. Which is what led me to do the work that I'm doing. Because I feel God's heart for his people. And when you weep with those who weep, it's because God weeps with those who weep. I told that story last week at our Kaleo Book Club. Um, side note, we read a lot around here. <laughs> like we've, we've mentioned like seven different books tonight. But we love to read. Reading is good. And I was so struck um, by this quote by Henry Nouwen in his book called In the Name of Jesus, which is the book that we are reading in book club. And I'll read it to you. It says, the task of future Christian leaders is not to make a little contribution to the solution of the pains and tribulations of their time, but to identify and announce the ways in which Jesus is leading God's people out of slavery through the desert to a new land of freedom. Christian leaders have the arduous task of responding to personal struggles, family conflicts, national calamities, and international tensions with an articulate faith in God's real presence. I am often challenged with how do I speak a language that articulates God's real presence in the here and now, using words that can be heard by those who have lost hope. Ms. Linda Morris, who is a senior leader here in the city, said something in response to me sharing that that I will never forget. She said, in the scriptures, we often see Jesus retreating, not because he was weary of people, but because the people kept trying to make him a king. Jesus instead invited people to join him in what he was already doing. Jesus was saying, don't be obsessed with everybody else seeing me as something. Be obsessed with joining me in my mission. As I reflected on what she said, I thought two things. One, that is really powerful. And two, the people of their time in the Bible during Jesus' time were also crying out, how long do we have to wait? How long will there be oppression under the Roman Empire? Then Jesus enters the scene grows up, become, begins his ministry, and his response to their communal question and cry is come 
and follow me. As it seems, we may not have a time frame on how long injustice will go on, but what we do have is the real, ever-present presence of God that is manifested in our ability to do what Jesus did, to love our neighbors, to care for the widow, to feed the hungry, to provide for the poor, to clothe the naked, to restore dignity to those whose dignity has been stripped away, to be a voice for those who have no voice. The 400 years of silence the people of God experienced before the coming of Jesus was answered in him saying, come and follow me. When we practice the ways of Jesus, we are manifesting in real time the very presence of God. So where is God? God is in you following Jesus. God is in you using your voice. God is in you caring for the widow, caring for the poor. God is in you providing dignity for those whose dignity has been stripped away. God is in you restoring land to Native people. God is in you giving reparations to black people. God is in you making things right that aren't right because that is what Jesus did in his ministry here on earth. When Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring glad tidings to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free and to proclaim a year acceptable to the Lord. Jesus didn't come because he was trying to round up a bunch of people into heaven. Jesus came because he was trying to radicalize the way that we are living here on earth. He was trying to get those in power to lay down their swords and pick up a way of love. Romero had a trail of tears. We've spent the last 10 weeks going through homilies by Archbishop Oscar Romero of El Salvador, who was assassinated on March 24, 1980, for preaching on human rights at the rise of governmental power. While serving the people of El Salvador, Romero also faced his own trail of tears. He saw institutionalized social and economic injustice on a pervasive scale. The poorest families had no land whatsoever and were forced to sleep in ditches and muddy fields. Hungry farm workers were beaten or shot for eating a piece of the very produce they had grown. Mines and factories operated under the theory that it was cheaper to replace a dead or crippled worker than to repair defective equipment. 60% of all babies died at birth, and 75% of the survivors suffered severe, severe malnutrition. Hundreds of thousands of men, women, and children died from diseases that could have been cured by basic medications. Romero began to ask his now famous questions. How can Christians do such things to each other? What can the church do to help? He found his answer in the realization that he had been called to Christ a second time, to the Christ who spoke to him in the Beatitudes. He found it also in the simple yet powerful truth of Father Gustavo, who said, to know God is to do justice. On October 15, 1978, Romero preached a message to a desperate people, also asking, how long, O oh Lord? 
Romero said this. Let us sing a song of hope and be filled with cheerful spirit, knowing that this Christian life, which came to us with Christ through the Virgin Mary and takes on flesh in all believers, is the presence of God who makes us a promise. No, brothers and sisters, El Salvador need not always live like this. For God said, I will tear off the veil of shame that covers it among all peoples. I will wipe away the tears of all those mothers who no longer have tears for having wept so much over their children who are not found. Here too, he will take away the sorrow of all those homes that this Sunday suffer the mystery of dear ones abducted or suffer murder or torture or torment. That is not of God. God's banquet will come. Wait for the Lord's hour. Romero said, let us have faith. All this will pass away like a national nightmare, and we shall awake to the Lord's great feast. And maybe that's the feast we imagine when we gather to give thanks this week. Let us be filled with this hope. On this last Sunday, before the season of Advent begins, let us remember what caused the coming of Christ, the cries of the people. The people cried out to the Lord and waited for a redeemer. Remember that God answered the collective cry of the people. So if you are still crying tonight, remember that he hears you and collects every tear you shed. Our passage tonight is Psalm 46, which says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, though the mountains shake in the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble with its tumult. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of the city. It shall not be moved. God will help it when the morning dawns. The nations are in an uproar. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come, behold the works of the Lord. See what desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I am exalted among the nations. I am exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. We're going to receive communion tonight. And as the band comes up, I would like to take a moment of silence. And you can close your eyes with me if you feel comfortable. And take a deep breath and just reflect on the things that we've heard tonight. Ask the Lord, what do you want me to know about the things that I've heard? What do you want me to do?
as we journey down the trail of tears. Remember that while we wait for the world to be made right, remember that God is with us. And because we follow him, his spirit is in us. And because he is in us, he is wherever we are. Amen. If this message encouraged you, let us know or share it with someone you know. For more information about Kaleo, visit kaleophx.com or follow us on social media at kaleophx.com.